0: All right, let's uh, begin with prayer. Please stand with me. Our Blessed Savior, we do thank Thee that uh, as we call upon Thee, uh, we are assured, even from the passage that we are considering this evening, that uh, Thou, our Lord Jesus, Does continually pray for us and uh, so we are thankful that as we call upon thee to be uh, to minister to us by thy spirit uh, that thou art already praying for us that thy word would be effectual in our lives and in our minds and hearts that it would transform and change us how we thank thee our God that uh, that we have this privilege to hear the Lord Jesus speak to us His sheep. And may we have ears to hear uh, and to obey uh, his uh, speaking unto us through the word of God tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in your Bibles, uh, turn with me to John 17, verses 9 through 12. John 17, verses 9 through 12. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but... The son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled so in this chapter as we've noted uh, this is the lord jesus praying for his disciples and there is this distinction this contrast that we'll be considering this evening but it uh, has already been considered to some extent This contrast between his disciples and the world. And the very first verse that we read in verse 9, Jesus says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for these that thou hast given me. Uh, He also says that it's those that uh, he calls his disciples were given to him uh, by the Father from out of the world. So the disciples, and I think many churches would like to see that what Jesus is saying here is that these disciples uh, were chosen from a, a pool of believers to be apostles. But Lord Jesus doesn't say that they were chosen from a pool of believers to be apostles. He says that they were given to him by the Father from out of the world. So they are God's elect from out of the world. They have been chosen by God from a whole world of unbelievers, not from a pool of believers. So this is not election to apostleship. This is election to salvation from out of the world again not from out of a pool of believers and that's a very important i think distinction to see here that and that's why the lord jesus says i'm not praying for all of the this the world of unbelievers the world of the non-elect i'm praying for those who the father has given to me to save and to rescue that's who i'm praying for and we're going to consider that a little more in detail but we we have already been introduced to that concept uh, in the first few verses of John 17 um, just we considered this passage back in John 15 but let me just again read this for you the Lord Jesus says in John 15 16 ye have not chosen me speaking again to his disciples, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And then if you jump down to verse 19 of the same chapter, the Lord Jesus says, if ye were of the worlds, still speaking to his disciples, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So again, notice there that the choosing is not from a smaller circle of believers to be an apostle, but it's the world from which they have been chosen to be rescued and saved uh, by the Lord Jesus. So that's the pool from which they're chosen. Um, And that's very important because um, it illustrates, again, God's sovereignty, God's uh, sovereign election, uh, that they didn't choose him, he chose them uh, to be his own from out of the world, not from, again, a group of uh, uh, people that were already believers uh, to to be apostles. He did do that. But that's not what this passage is teaching. So let's begin uh, with our new material in verse 9, John 17, 9. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. So this intercessory uh, prayer on the part of the Lord Jesus is a prayer for his people that have been given to him. And though he is specifically praying for the disciples, we see in verse 20 that he's not only praying for his disciples that were living then, he's praying for all who would believe in him as well. Through the disciples, John 17, 20, uh, we'll get to this verse in a future Bible study but notice what Jesus says neither pray I for these alone but for them also which shall believe on me through their word so again whatever Jesus is saying with regard to these men being chosen from out of the world we know that Again, it's as I've already described it, that it's speaking of election unto salvation because he says, I'm not only praying for these whom he called to be apostles, but I'm praying for all of those who would believe through their word, through their ministry, which would include us because we've come to believe through what is recorded in God's word that the apostles wrote and was preserved by the Holy Spirit. So whatever the Lord Jesus is praying for in regard to the disciples, he's praying for us as well. We too were chosen from out of the world. We too have been given uh, by the Father to the Son to be saved and to bring forth fruit. To the glory of God. So we're included in this prayer of the Lord Jesus. There are four items, specific blessings uh, in the course of this chapter in John 17 that the Lord Jesus prays for uh, in regard to um, his followers, his disciples, those who believe and trust in him. And uh, we will not cover all four of these this evening but uh, just to uh, know what's coming in the chapter so he prays for his disciples for their preservation the preservation of their souls Uh, not for the preservation of their bodies because their bodies are going to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ Uh, uh, most of them are going to become martyrs uh, for, for the Lord Jesus Christ uh, but he's praying for the, their souls that uh, their souls would be saved um, forever so for their preservation in the faith then second blessing that he prays for is for the sanctification of his disciples the sanctification that, that they would uh, grow um, in faith, that they would grow and trusting him that the fruit of the spirit would be more and more evident in their lives so that they would be conformed to the image of jesus christ sanctification of his disciples thirdly uh, he prays for the unity of his disciples that they would be one as the father and the son are one and uh, will um, not get into the depth of that this evening, but he does in the portion that we are covering, he does mention that, and so we'll touch on it, but we'll reserve a further discussion, a fuller discussion about the unity uh, that uh, Jesus prays for uh, among all of his people, among all of those who are saved in a future Bible study. And then the fourth blessing that Jesus prays for is the glorification of his disciples with him in heaven, that they would be glorified, that they would uh, not only serve him here upon earth and know him here upon earth, but having been given eternal life, which begins here upon earth, it extends uh, forever uh, with the lord and so he prays for their glorification if these are uh, important matters for the lord jesus to be praying for these four blessings uh, i think we can assume it's pretty important we pray for them as well that we pray for our preservation that our our souls would be preserved that we pray for our sanctification growth in Jesus Christ that we pray for the unity of God's people together in one doctrine and worship and government of the church not simply uh, a spiritual unity uh, which has us divided in thousands of different denominations but that we that we pray for a visible unity where God's people come together to believe And practice the same truth in brotherly love and that we ought to pray for our own glorification that God would carry us at death into his glorious presence um, that that we would enjoy um, and have fullness of joy and uh, pleasures forevermore as David uh, praise in psalm sixteen eleven at thy right hand there is fullness of joy, um, or in thy presence is fullness of joy at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore that we ought to be praying uh, daily, Lord, uh, when I breathe breathe my last breath, carry me in the very presence of God now. In John 17:9, I'm just share with you a couple interpretations of this verse, where Jesus says, "I pray for them, that is the disciples. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine." Uh, there is uh, an interpretation of this verse uh, which probably would be held by most who profess to be Arminian. And they would understand this verse to teach that uh, Jesus is saying, I'm not praying for the world right now. Um, Not that I won't, not that I don't pray for the world uh, at some time um, uh, or at other times, but I'm only praying for the disciples just at this particular moment. Um, And so... Uh, that interpretation would not exclude Jesus from praying for the world at other times, but he's only praying for um, the disciples right now and not for the world. That, uh, again, uh, I think uh, is, as I said, uh, one uh, interpretation, but the Lord Jesus doesn't say um, anything about praying for uh, the... Uh, for the world at at all. Uh, We need to understand um, that the world of God's, um, of the non-elect, if Jesus were praying for their salvation, they would be saved. Jesus never prays for that which God will not hear, And for which God will not answer Uh, because Jesus always prays according to God's will and the condition for our own answered prayer that if we pray according to his will he heareth us and he answers those prayers when we pray according to his will Jesus uh, we read in John 11:42, he says, I always pray according to God's will, and God always hears me, and God always answers, therefore, his prayers. So if Jesus was praying for the non-elect, the non-elect would no longer be non-elect. They would come uh, to salvation if he was truly praying for them. The reason he prays for those whom the Father has given to him to save is because they always come to believe and trust in him. They always, because as I said, Jesus, the prayers of the Lord Jesus are always efficacious. Uh, they never um, end up being uh, prayers that simply fall to the ground and are not realized. Um, that's very encouraging uh, uh, for me and I hope for you as well because uh, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us, Paul says in the book of Hebrews. So all of his prayers for us will be heard and will be answered, including what we have covered in this particular section. He prays for our preservation His prayers are going to be heard and answered. He prays for our sanctification. His prayers are going to be heard and answered. He prays for the unity of His people. His prayers are going to be heard and answered, and He prays for our glorification with Him in heaven. His prayers are going to be heard and answered. That's encouraging uh, uh, to us, Um, and that's why again when jesus says i pray for them that is his disciples i pray not for the world he's not saying that uh, sometimes he does pray for the salvation of the non-elect within the world Uh, he doesn't pray for the salvation because they were not given to him by the father to save Um, uh, only those who were chosen in christ jesus before the foundation of the world were given to the Lord Jesus by the Father to save and he prays for them. And for them, uh, his prayers are absolutely and always effectual. Well, what about uh, in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, as Jesus was hanging upon the cross, and he, you remember this prayer, Luke 23, verse 34, uh, Jesus said, uh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, again, uh, here the Roman soldiers crucifying him, and uh, uh, he prays that um, the Father would forgive them. Was he praying for. Those uh, who are non-elect and who would never come to believe in Christ never would never have their sins forgiven. Well, I think that as we read the testimony of the centurion uh, in Matthew 27 that it was overseeing Christ's crucifixion, we certainly see evidence, it would seem, Uh, In his statement, Matthew 27, uh, beginning with verse 50, reading through 54. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now notice verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, that is those who were uh, there crucifying the Lord Jesus, watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done They feared greatly saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Um, I would propose that uh, the prayer of the Lord Jesus was realized. That these who crucified the Lord Jesus, for whom he prayed, their sins were forgiven, not not without faith and trust in him, but that's, that's an expression of faith. Uh, truly, not mistakenly, not maybe, maybe not, this was or this is the Son of the living God. And so um, I would uh, certainly point out that that prayer of the Lord Jesus, uh, that those who were crucifying him, their sins would be forgiven, was most likely even realized in that situation that they were uh, God's elect. They came to acknowledge and trust in the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> and so, I, just uh, to uh, kind of put a, a last statement on this section uh, it's not possible for jesus to pray for the salvation of anyone uh, who will not be saved it's not possible that he would pray for their salvation and they would not be saved so if he's praying for the salvation of the world and the world doesn't come to believe in the lord jesus that is all the world all Humanity does not come to believe in the Lord Jesus. That's a lot of unanswered prayers on the part of the Lord Jesus, which is not even possible uh, for that to happen. <clears throat> well, what about passage like Second uh, Peter three nine then? Second Peter three nine, which. Says, <clears throat> the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And um, the context, I think, is that which helps us understand here who peter is speaking of the lord is not slack concerning his promise his promise of salvation his promise to rescue and save as some men in the world count slackness but peter says the lord is long-suffering to who to us to his elect he's long-suffering to us not willing that any that is not willing that any of us to whom he is patient and long-suffering, not willing that any of us should perish, uh, but that we all should come to repentance. And so again, I think the context makes it clear uh, who he is uh, speaking of here. Um, Verse 15 of the same chapter says uh, 2 Peter 3 15, he goes on to say, and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. And so the long suffering of the Lord brings about our salvation. That he doesn't he doesn't uh, because we're sinners um Cast us into hell if we are his elect Uh, he's long-suffering with us uh, And uh, brings about that salvation christ died For his elect they were the ones father gave to the son to rescue and save And uh, then the lord preserves them Just like the lord jesus prayed for uh, peter when Satan demanded or sought permission to sift Peter like wheat, uh, before Peter denied the Lord Jesus um, three times, in Luke 22, verses 31 through 32, um, the Lord says, uh, Simon, Simon, um, Satan has uh, sought um, permission to sift you like wheat but i have prayed for you that your faith not fail see it was it wasn't because peter was so strong uh that and his faith was so strong that he endured that temptation uh, where he denied the lord if jesus had not been praying for him he prayed that his faith would not fail If Jesus had not prayed that Peter's faith not fail, Peter's faith would have failed. Peter's faith would have failed uh, in his own strength, but because Jesus prayed for his preservation, just as he's praying in John 17 for the preservation of his uh, disciples and all who believe and trust in him, Uh, all, uh, all of us who trust in Christ, our faith will not fail, not because we are so strong, but because he is so strong, because he is holy, because he is our righteousness and praise for us. And so let us, again, give glory to the Lord Jesus for his effectual prayers. Verse 10, John seventeen ten, And all mine... So this is Jesus continuing to pray to the Father, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. This part of uh, the prayer of the Lord Jesus uh, presupposes the, the perfect unity uh, between the Father and the Son, because all that are mind jesus says are the fathers and all that are the fathers are his the lord jesus so it it presupposes this this uh, beautiful perfect unity uh, between the father and the son and again who are the all here well they're the believers They're the ones that come to actually believe in the Lord Jesus. He's not saying that all who end up spending all eternity in hell because they will not trust in Jesus are his uh, or the father's. Um, but he's talking about those who come to believe in him. And uh, those are the ones the father has given to the son to save. They're all mine and they're all the father's. And, uh, and uh, you remember what Jesus said back in John 10:27, where where he spoke of how God saves us and preserves us. Uh, he not only speaks of him uh, not casting any of them out of his hands, but uh, it speaks of the Father as well as being the Almighty and strong one who, from whose hands no one can pluck his sheep. Uh, John ten twenty seven. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. As if that wasn't good enough, Jesus continues, my Father which gave them me Here again, that idea of the Father giving them to the Son. And this is not talking, uh, again, about uh, the twelve or the eleven apostles, but it's talking about my sheep. So this is taking in all true believers. But he goes on to say, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. At the end of that verse, uh, Jesus says, I am glorified in them. All of those that the Father has given to the Son and who come to believe in him, trust in him, uh, Jesus says, I am glorified in them. What does that mean? I am glorified in them. Well, uh, the idea of glorifying God is reflecting his glory. Uh, we can't add to the glory of God. God is uh, eternally and infinitely glorious. A cup that is uh, infinitely flowing over, uh, you can't add uh, to it. Uh, it. It's already flowing and flowing and flowing. Um, uh, so we can't we can't contribute or add anything to God's glory, uh, to uh, uh, the beauty of His nature, and who He is, in all of His attributes, uh, His character, His uh, think of His omniscience, knowing all things, His omnipresence. Uh, think of again Him being eternal, never having a beginning. We can't add to any of that. Um, but what we can do is reflect that beauty in our lives. Reflect that glory in our lives. And that's what Jesus says. I am glorified in those who believe in me. They reflect my glory. They reflect my beauty. And how is that the case? How has that happened? Well, when we the more we become like Jesus, conformed to His image. The more we think like Jesus, we're never going to perfectly uh, think like Jesus this side of heaven. We will be perfect, but even in heaven, we're going to be, I believe, for all eternity, glow, uh, growing in our knowledge. Uh, so in, in, in an infinite sense, we'll never uh, be Uh, uh, exactly like jesus and thinking uh, like him but morally we will not by way of how much we know but morally our thoughts in heaven will reflect the thoughts of the lord jesus here on earth again uh our thoughts every day fall short um of uh, that perfection um We also show forth, but we do manifest in our thoughts uh, as we grow and our thoughts are more and more sanctified. When our thoughts are more and more um, conformed to uh, the, the Lord Jesus, Paul says that we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So what we think about is very important, is it not? Uh, what we allow ourselves inwardly to spend time thinking about will manifest itself in our speech and in our conduct. If we don't, by God's grace, um, exercise the fruit of temperance or self-control, uh, the last of the nine fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23, then... Um, Uh, That lack of self-control is going to evidence itself in the way we talk to one another and in the way we act toward one another. So um, thinking and uh, manifesting God's glory, Christ's glory in our thoughts, in the way we think, uh, which again, that comes about through God's word. God's word in Psalm uh, 119 verse 11 word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee Uh, so again uh, it cleanses us Uh, it cleanses our minds Uh, it conforms our thinking to the thinking of the Lord Jesus that's that's again uh, how God's glory is manifested in us uh, in our speech uh, we glorify God, or we bring dishonor and shame to God by what we say. Um, and uh, so, again, uh, God's concerned about the way we talk. Uh, people, again, um, uh, may think uh, it's only you know when I in my actions uh, that uh, God really takes any concern are in my actions. Jesus pointed out the fallacy of that in the Sermon on the Mount where the Pharisees said, you know, that they only believed that they had committed murder violated the sixth commandment when they actually killed somebody. But Jesus said, no, it's, it's the hatred within it's the anger, uh, within, uh, that, uh, condemns you and uh, even is sufficient to send a person to hell even if they do not actually, uh, with their hands, murder somebody. Likewise, he said uh, to look after a woman to lust uh, in one's heart is to commit adultery, is to violate uh, the uh, seventh commandment. Um, certainly to go on with a physical act is an aggravated sin, uh, than than, uh, lusting in one's mind but Jesus is saying that if we simply stop and, and only consider a violation of that commandment to be the outward act then we have not understood uh, God's law and the justice of God's law that that it begins with with our thinking our desires that need to be conformed to the image of Christ as well so thoughts words deeds By all of these means, we glorify God. That's how the beauty of the Lord shines through us, is in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. And Jesus says, I am glorified in them, in his disciples. Were they perfect? No. We see them stumbling all over the place, don't we? We see, you know, the Lord hasn't hidden uh, their weaknesses and their sins, fighting with one another in the very night in which Jesus would be arrested uh, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane before that right after the celebration of the Passover and the Lord's Supper and not the first time it happened in the ministry of Christ they're arguing who who would be greatest you know in the kingdom of God Um, pride um, was uh, certainly a great great and grievous sin that uh, they Uh, uh, that would appear they struggled with. So they weren't perfect, but the Lord says, I'm glorified in them. Um, And uh, the Apostle Paul uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 12, I'm sorry, uh, uh, remember was given a thorn in the flesh uh, to prevent him from boasting. About the revelations that he had seen and so again we're all subject to this but God's glory is what we should desire I want God's beauty I want God's glory to be manifested in reflecting back to him and to those around me I want his glory and beauty to be reflected in my thoughts my words and my deeds That's what Jesus is praying for. And that's what sanctification is. It's growth. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen uh, instantaneously. But in all of our lives, uh, it should be important to us if we really are Christians. That should matter. That we want to be conformed to Christ's image. We want to look more and more like Jesus, not more and more like the world. Uh, the world is going to hell i don't want to look more and more like that which is going to hell i want to look more and more like the lord jesus and uh that's that's manifesting the glory of the lord jesus through sanctification being conformed uh to his image and and if ever as christians we doubt that uh Uh, that jesus is able to do that to conform us to that image Uh, we are assured by the apostle paul in romans 8 verse 29 it says for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren we have been predestinated to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus. That really causes me to be excited. I have been predestinated to look like Jesus, to think like Jesus, to speak like Jesus and to act like Jesus. God has predestinated. That which is predestinated will not fail to be accomplished. That which has been predestinated will be accomplished. So, though I struggle, as you struggle, uh, my hope is not in me. My hope is in the Lord and and, uh, His promises. Certainly, I strive and I endeavor, as we all must, uh, to um, uh, be sanctified to have communion with the Lord Jesus to lean upon him and his promises to derive from him the strength and courage that we need to persevere but it is predestined uh, to uh, be realized verse 11 John 17 11 and now I am no more in the world but these are in the world and I Come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thy known name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Here Jesus is praying for his disciples because they are, as he says, yet in this world, in the world of temptations. They are yet in the world of trials affliction suffering setbacks delays there's yet in this world where all of this uh, is being used uh, by the devil to seek to uh, discourage us to seek to um, cause us to cast away our faith and trust in him our hope in him Uh, we are still in the world as his disciples were for whom he was praying And they were about to go through some extreme um, temptations Uh, as he was arrested in the garden of gethsemane um, uh, they they were dispersed they were running in fear Uh, they were cowering uh, at what was happening uh, at that time and so he's praying for them that in spite of what they would experience that the lord would preserve them and keep them. They wouldn't have after the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven they wouldn't have Jesus there with them bodily. While uh, Jesus was there bodily with them during his earthly ministry, uh, he protected them, he preserved them, he kept them uh, there uh, through many temptations and trials. Uh, but uh, he was going to be taken from them. And so he's praying that, uh, that the Lord, his Father, would uh, keep them, guard them, preserve them, cause them to perse- persevere in the faith. Um, so this, uh, again, this prayer, keep them, preserve them, guard them, assumes uh, the weaknesses of his disciples. Doesn't uh, doesn't assume that they are strong. Uh, why would they need to be preserved and kept and guarded if they were so strong? Uh, uh, they, it, it assumes their weakness. That's why they needed to be kept, preserved and guarded, caused to persevere. And we, uh, I think, herein are also warned uh, not to be deceived into thinking we are so strong uh, that uh, we do not need any help, that we don't need any help from one another, that we don't need the prayers of one another, that we don't need the prayers of the Lord Jesus, that we don't need uh, the Holy Spirit uh, working within us. Um, and we, we uh, I think are much more likely to have that attitude when we're not in communion with the Lord Jesus. When we are walking closely in communion with Him, spending time with Him in prayer, reading His Word daily, um, we can't help but be reminded of our weaknesses. Um, But when we're walking at a distance from Him it's when the enemy sets us up for that pride trip and to think that we're... we're, uh, uh, able to conquer anything uh, or you know we we just uh, are able to do this on our own we don't need uh, the Lord Jesus even if we don't say I don't need him we act as though we don't need him but Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 10 17 therefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall if we're not aware of our weaknesses um, then we will fall uh, we will be tempted and uh, succumb to that temptation. And the Lord will allow us to succumb to temptation in order to teach us and show us just how weak we are. If we're not depending upon Him, if we're not daily being um, taking up the full armor of God, uh, because we're going to face uh, temptation. Uh, it's a battle out here. Uh, and uh, there, there's a war going on. And we need, again, to take up the whole armor of God if we, uh, if we are to be able to withstand the wiles of the enemy, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. One goal of being preserved in truth and faithfulness uh, according to the Lord Jesus in his prayer here was uh, that they would be one, uh, that they would uh, be in unity. Brotherly unity uh, and uh, brotherly love uh, for one another. And the paradigm of unity, uh, the Lord Jesus says in verse 11, is that they, that they may be one as we are. Uh, that's the example. That's the paradigm, is the unity between the Father and the Son. And, and as I said, uh, though it comes up right here in this verse 11, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it this evening because it will come up later on in the Lord's Prayer in John 17. Uh, So I'm just going to very, very briefly touch on it right now, but um, our unity cannot reach the perfect unity of the Father and the Son, for sure, um, uh, or within the Godhead. But nevertheless, that is, just like the Lord Jesus says, be ye perfect even as I am perfect, or the Father says, uh, uh, be ye perfect as I am perfect. Um, the the fact that we can't be perfect and as as the Father, the Son, is perfect doesn't mean that that ought not to be our goal, that that, that ought not to be our paradigm, and that we ought not to endeavor and strive by God's grace uh, to be like the son to be like the father that ought to be still what we pray for what we strive for because uh, if we set if we set our our goals way down here um, and uh, we say I, I just want to be like uh, uh, so-and-so um, and uh, that that becomes our our goal well when so-and-so fails and uh, uh, so-and-so is not one, that we can set our our standard to be like, because we're all flesh, we're all weak. Uh, We have to set our standard to be like Lord Jesus. He has to be the one that we want to be like. And so that that again uh, is the standard for unity, Um, the Father and the Son, that perfect unity uh, that the Father and Son enjoy one with the other and with the Holy Spirit as well. But this unity, is there any doctrinal uh, uh, difference or distinction or uh, uh, disagreement amongst the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do they disagree on any doctrine? Uh, Do they disagree on uh, how uh, they should be worshipped? There's any disagreement among them on uh, uh, what form of church government, what um, ethical standards, Uh, moral standards that we should follow. There's no disagreement amongst the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in any of these issues. Um, The disagreement is with us. Uh, The disagreement uh, is our problem, is our sin, not the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And not that they haven't made it uh, clear enough for us to walk in obedience. So the problem is with us. Uh, that we have failed uh, to follow uh, the truth as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have revealed it and as they themselves share that truth uh, among themselves. Uh, I've said it before, you know, God is not schizophrenic with regard to the truth. Uh, So all of the various versions that uh, churches today claim to be the truth where they contradict one another, they that they can't, they they may both be wrong, but they can't both be right. Um, uh, but I do believe that uh, that it is possible for us to know the truth. I uh, God has revealed it uh, to us, and not that any one individual knows um, uh, the truth to the, to the fullest degree um sinlessly without error but those things that for example we find in our confession of faith are our um foundational truths that we can embrace um and that we can um profess and believe and the worship that he has appointed we can have agreement uh in that that was the goal um of our fathers, church fathers uh, uh, in the Reformation period um, and uh, even earlier was that there be unity uh, in in the faith um, and uh, not this diversity. That's just accepted today uh, almost as if that was God's will that we have all these different churches believing different things, confusing one another uh, and, and being perplexed about what the truth is, that was, that's not God's will. Um, in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 10, uh, the Apostle Paul makes that very clear. That's not God's will when he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. The same thing. And that there be no divisions among you. That is, no divisions about doctrine, worship, church government, the commandments of God. There be no divisions among you doctrinally or with with regard to the truth. But that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That's God's will. Uh, And so, the sin is ours. Uh, Certainly not the Lord's. Uh, The sin is ours. Amos 3, 3, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Uh, It's one thing that God uh, has given us different gifts, and so we ought to have diversity of gifts for ministry uh, uh, within the church. Not everybody has the same gifts. And so diversity of gifts is good. That's a blessing. Not everybody's an eye, not everybody's an ear, not everybody's a hand or a foot. Um, There are different uh, gifts. That's good. But not diversity in in truth. Uh, Not diversity in doctrine, worship, or or government of the church. That is not good. That's contrary to God's will. And it's uh, it's important, again, um, that uh, we be and strive for unity because um, uh, and that we stand together uh, as God's people in the truth uh, because we're much easier targets by the enemy when we're not standing together in the truth. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 4 verses 9 through 10 two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. And so, it's true in a marriage. It's true in the church. Uh, it, to, be, to be united uh, is a blessing and for which we strive. Uh, to remove all those barriers that separate the people of God uh, in order to be one uh, makes us stronger as God's people. Um, Not a unity in error or diversity of doctrine, but a unity in the truth. And finally, in verse 12, John 17, 12, uh, Lord Jesus prays, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name, Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Again, uh, as I said, this is not talking about an election to apostleship, but this is talking about an election to salvation. And that comes very clear here, because it speaks of one of them being lost, um, namely Judas. Uh, he was chosen to be an apostle, but he was not chosen to salvation. He was lost. Um, And uh, uh, that, I think, again, illustrates very clearly and makes that point that this giving of the Father to the Son, those for whom Jesus prays, is with regard to salvation, not apostleship, because Judas shared in that. He was chosen to apostleship, but he was not chosen to salvation. During Christ's earthly ministry, he did preserve his disciples uh, in the faith. He kept them from, from, uh, not from every sin, but he did, uh, as we noted in Luke 22, he prayed that Peter's faith not fail for example, and he was so severely tempted by the enemy. He kept them in the faith, in spite of their own weaknesses. He kept them from falling away into apostasy, um, those who were his elect. Um, And that uh, he says there's one exception, though. Um, And uh, he doesn't identify by name, Judas but he does uh, uh, identify one that whom he did not keep because he was not one of God's elect. None of them is lost that the Father gave to the Son, but he says there is one uh, that uh, is lost, and that is the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Perdition means destruction, the son of destruction. And uh, that means that the Judas was never given by the Father to the Son like the other disciples were given by the Father to the Son. In uh, Matthew chapter 7, many will say to me on that last day, Lord, Lord, and you remember some of the things that they, they will say, didn't we prophesy in thy name? Didn't we cast out demons in thy name? Didn't we perform many miracles in thy name? And Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me, ye who work iniquity. I never, not I knew you at one time, now I don't. I never knew you. You were never one of my own. That would be Judas too. He would be one who could say, didn't I do all these wonderful things? Because he was given those gifts and abilities to perform those miraculous uh, feats, those wonders, like the other 11, um, and yet, one whom the Father had not given to the Son to save. He was, uh, according to Lord Jesus uh, from the beginning, in John chapter six uh, verse 71, it's, Jesus says he was from the beginning, a devil from the beginning. Uh, never a saint, uh, never one um, called by the Lord to Himself, uh, given if uh, effectual calling. Just want to close with this um, note: that title "Son of Perdition" uh, is used one other place in in the Bible. It's used in Second Thessalonians chapter two to refer to uh, Antichrist. Uh, That he is the son of perdition, he is the man of lawlessness, and um, who seats himself in the temple of God, which is the church of God, uh, claiming himself, professing himself uh, to be God. And uh, again, to take upon himself those divine prerogatives uh, that belong to the Lord Jesus alone. So, son of Perdition. Let me make this, up, and I, I would uh, submit to you that it's the papacy uh, that is uh, there in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and following that uh, is referring to the papacy that is uh, the Son of Perdition, not to one individual but to an office. Uh, the Son of Perdition, uh, and uh, interestingly, again uh, noted this in the past. Antichrist uh, means exactly the same thing as Vicar of Christ. Uh, Vicar of Christ is the title that the papacy takes to itself. Vicar uh, means anti, in the place of. Uh, vicar of christ in the place of christ latin anti christos greek um, in the place of christ Uh, so uh, the antichrist is the vicar of christ uh, here and is the papacy but like judas uh, uh, the man of sin or the son of perdition Uh, Claims to be an Apostle the papacy claims to be an Apostle and uh, claims to be uh, uh, In the line of Peter actually The papacy is in the line of Judas as we'll see Um, the son of perdition is Judas the son of perdition is the papacy Uh, both claim to be Apostles um, and uh, um, we know what happened to Judas. Like Judas, the, likewise the son of perdition in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, claims to have the gifts of the Spirit. Like Judas, perform miracles. Like Judas, uh, the son of perdition in 2 Thessalonians uh, 2, verses 3 through 4, speaks, claims to speak on behalf of Christ. Um, Judas claimed to speak on behalf of Christ. As he was sent out to minister, um, uh, so, so does the papacy. Uh, like Judas, the son of perdition, uh, is an impostor. Uh, is an impostor. So, um, all supposed persons that um, people put forward to be um, the Antichrist in Second Thessalonians chapter two verse three. Um, they're they're setting up that person to be um, someone who uh, is Jewish not even a Christian uh, or they set that person up to be a Roman Emperor like Nero they set that person up to be um, a future um, uh, ruler uh, who is not a Christian not a believer uh, But again, or professes to be one, uh, doesn't profess to be one. And yet here, uh, the son of perdition uh, only is used uh, two times. One of Judas and one time uh, of the Antichrist. They mirror one another. They are not outside the church, they're within the church. They claim to have authority like an apostle. So that's again why I say the papacy... Uh, is not uh, doesn't sit upon the the seat or the throne of Peter the papacy sits upon the seat or throne of Judas Um, and that's the son of perdition and God give us give us wisdom uh, to understand that uh, the son of perdition is not a heathen king, is not a Muslim is not um, a a Jewish false prophet uh, but is One who professes to be an apostle, a friend of Christ, and yet betrays Christ with a kiss. Please stand with me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we give thee praise and thanksgiving for Thy holy Word, for Thy Spirit that teaches and instructs us, and Lord, we would glorify Thee, we would reflect Thy glory and Thy beauty in our thinking, in our speech, and in our conduct. Uh, Lord, we would, uh, we would give Thee praise and thanksgiving that Jesus is praying for us. Uh, that He ever lives to make intercession for us. He is praying that our faith would not fail in the midst of all the trials and temptations that come our way, and the fact that we repent, the fact that we turn away from our sin, the fact that we hate our sin, that we see our own weakness in sin, uh, is due to the prayers of the Lord Jesus upholding us and strengthening us and drawing us back and back and back again, that we not fall away from Thee. So, Lord, we thank Thee for uh, the prayers of our Savior, our blessed Savior, our lovely and beautiful Savior. and pray that uh, we would, uh, Lord, uh, ever give Thee praise and thanksgiving for uh, His continual work uh, for us. In Jesus' name, amen.